Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unlocking the Potential of Assessments, the show that delves into creating, delivering, and reporting on valid and reliable assessments. In each episode, we chat with assessment luminaries, influencers, subject matter experts, and customers to discover and examine the latest in best practice guidance for all things assessment. I'm your host, John Kleeman, founder and executive director of Question Mark, the industry leader in assessment management software. Today, we're really excited to welcome Akil Bello, an expert in assessment reform. Akil is the Senior Director of Advocacy and Advancement at FairTest. He's got more than three decades of experience on testing issues as a tutor, analyst, and advocate. He co-founded the company Bell Curves, which focused on preparing low-income and minority students for standardized exams. And later, he served as Director of Equity and Access at the Princeton Review. Most recently, Akil has consulted with colleges and organizations seeking to remove barriers to educational opportunity. In addition to his experience with ACT, SAT, and GRE, he's been involved with campaigns to eliminate reliance on test scores to determine admissions in New York City's selective high schools and gifted and talented programs. Akil is a graduate of the Pratt Institute, and I'm really thrilled to have Akil with us today. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Akil, tell us how you got into assessments. Sure. Um, I was driven into this industry by poverty and nepotism, um, which, you know, I was a poor college kid who needed a part-time gig. So I went to my aunt and said, I dressed up pretty, of course, because that's how you find jobs. Then I went to visit my, my aunt and said, I need a job. She sent me to Princeton Review. And because she worked there, I ended up getting a job there as well. I started as a proctor. And then a few a year or so later, became a teacher for the SAT. That transitioned into teaching other tests, eventually writing materials for other tests, doing pretty much everything you can do in the test prep space, from writing materials and training teachers to tutoring. And then I left Princeton Review and started my own company. I did that for 11 years, um, focused more on delivering equity around test preparation, um, which gave me a different insight into who prepares for the test, how people prepare for the test, what the tests say about preparation, access to information, all of those sort of things. So 11 years at Bell Curves, then I left because entrepreneurship is hard. Um, and I went back to the Princeton Review as director of equity and access. Four years later, I left that organization began doing some consulting, and then eventually landed at Fairtest. So that's my short path. So we definitely want to talk about uh, Fairtest in a few minutes. Uh, but can you just explain, as I think your, your son has called you an adult film star? Where does that fit in? <laughs> that's right. I am an adult film star. If one calls documentaries about education adult films, um, I've actually been in two documentaries on one was called The Test and the Art of Thinking. It was a documentary about the SAT and its creation, history, evolution over time, and current place in the U.S. educational landscape. Um, and then I was also more recently in a Netflix documentary about Operation Varsity Blues, the scandal that went down involving bribery and cheating and all the dramatic illicit things going on to get into colleges. Um, so that's my adult film stardom. 
Yeah, no, I saw that documentary, as I'm sure lots of listeners will, and it was a, a, a good documentary. So let's talk about admissions tests. I don't think you're a big fan of uh, admissions tests, at least the United States versions of them. I am certainly not a fan of how they are used. I've reserved judgments on whether I think the, the tests themselves are performing as they should, are performing the functions that largely society believes they perform. Because I think there's a big difference between what psychometricians think the tests do and what society thinks the tests do. So I think the use of the test is problematic in admissions. So tell us about fair tests, because I know that they talk about wanting to make testing fairer, but when you look at their newsletters, it's often why tests are bad. So I mean, is fair test anti-test or just more pro-good testing? Pro-good testing pro better, more reasonable, more limited use of testing. I think the problem is, especially in the United States, testing may have jumped the shark. It just may have reached the point that it's so bad, you have to get rid of it in order to improve it. Those who worship at the altar of testing seem to believe many things that are counter to the research and development and good practice of test use. And to decode that and to, you know, and to remove that from education in the entire country would be really hard, you know, but that's the work, right? The work is to sort of help those who are using the test actually understand how they should be used. And, and is it the test that need improvement or is it people need to use them as just more one piece of data rather than the only piece of data? I think it's both. I think that you can, you know, for some examples, in New York City, there are eight specialized high schools, in theory, supposedly the best schools in New York, right? To get admitted to these high schools, an eighth grader has one opportunity in October of their eighth grade year to take an assessment, and they have to hit a particular cutoff for admissions to these schools. Now, that's actually against the APA guidelines, to use the test as the sole measure of admission, right? In addition to that, when you look at the construction of the test, the score scale, there, there is a wider range of available scores than there are items on the test, which I do also believe is against the APA guidelines for good testing. So the use of the test is bad. The creation of the test also seems bad, right? And this test, which is given to 30,000 students per year, with incredibly high stakes, as far as I can tell, the development of items takes place in about 12 months, maybe less. And there's no transparency. There's no technical manual available. And the outcomes of that test is in these schools with about 5,000 students, um, at the top school, Stuyvesant, which has the highest cutoff, I believe this year the newspaper articles are all about eight black students in a, in a school system where there are about 60,000 eighth graders. Eight black students were admitted to Cybersyn out of about 25,000 that took the test, 25,000 total students. And so lots of listeners, and in fact, myself, won't be too familiar with the New York educational scene. These are, these are public schools, are they? So these are Correct. publicly funded schools. And, and essentially, the admissions test there feels perhaps unfair. And also, you've just got one chance. So somebody has is ill on the day or something like that. They don't have an opportunity to retake or... So there's no retaking. There's incredibly high stakes. The alignment of the tests to the state standards is questionable, but the transparency around the test is also non-existent. 
So that would be a very clear example of all kinds of problems with testing. Uh, so, I mean, just to give you an example of what happens in the UK, which is where I'm more familiar with, uh, firstly, there are lots of different um, uh, exam boards. You can take exams from different organizations. And also there are opportunities that are retakes or appeals that are maybe not perfect, but obviously from different organizations. Uh, what, so what do you what, what would you like to see happen in in a, in a variety of places? Would you like to see more transparency? Is that the key thing? Would you like to see something else? I think all of the above. I think that more limited use of the test, right? The test as a sole measure should be a non-starter, right? More limited use of testing, more research-driven, research-aligned practices in the creation of the test, right? Um, I would love it explained to me how the score scale is, you know, there are more available scores than there are items on the test. I would love that explained to me how that's reasonable. So... I think in every regard, this system of admitting students is problematic, but it's centered on the test because the test is the thing that they're using right now. But I think that it's important to realize that for almost all of these tests, the test makers, all of the test makers are fairly quiet about misuse, which as an industry, the testing industry needs to do better. The testing industry needs to police the use of their product if they want it to be appropriately used and research-driven. One quote that has floored me in the documentary I was in, The Test and the Art of Thinking, a senior executive at a major test publisher actually said in The Test and the Art of Thinking, the documentary I was in, and I'm going to try to get the quote right, I might misquote it slightly, but essentially what he said is the marketers of the test don't listen to research when they're selling it, right? And that was a really telling comment from somebody who's highly placed at this. And I find that that's often the problem in the industry. If you're going to create a product that's research-driven and research-based and has particular use, you should care about it being used responsibly after you release it to the world. And I'm sure a lot of the testing organizations do. And, and probably then there are a lot of in, industries where the researchers and the marketers don't talk to each other enough. So I, I don't know if you're able to to comment on different areas. I mean, for example, recruitment tests or certification tests, does Fair Test or yourself have any perspectives or views on that? I have less knowledge of those tests. I'm aware that they exist. I generally only become aware of those type of tests when there are problems. In New York City, there was the certification test for teachers, which there were court cases around its fairness and its equity. I don't know all the details. I know that it was eventually was no longer used. I don't know anything about recruitment tests. I, I actually, my experience with recruitment tests, funny as it is, is friends of mine sending me questions from recruitment tests that they can't solve. <laughs> and I would say about 50% of the time, eh, maybe less. Often it's, okay, this is math you don't remember, or this is information you don't remember, but sometimes it's, this is a bizarre item that I can't solve myself, which is where it becomes problematic because I wonder about how many people take tests with items that are problematic and have no recourse to mitigate the damage that having this problematic item creates, right? Because if you can't add, answer an item because it's flawed, and then you don't get the job. So, I mean, any reputable organization would run things like item, item analysis or item statistics and weed out questions like that. 
But I mean, I'm not saying that happens everywhere, but I know it happens in, in a lot of places. And suddenly our software provides lots of ways of doing things like that. What about malpractice and misuse? So, I mean, that was a little bit what the Netflix documentary was about. Do you think it's reasonable what people do to try and stop malpractice at test? And any thoughts on that? So I think the the Varsity Blues scandal was one of the scandals around testing that almost had nothing to do with the testing industry. And because the systems that were in place involved humans. And if you involve humans, with enough money, you can probably get most humans to do something for you. So I don't know that there was a, a system that was the testing industry's fault or the test maker's fault, right? And unfortunately, what I've seen is some of the systems that have been put in place after the fact are potentially more harmful. Because what, what was done was one of the things that were taken advantage of was they bribed proctors using accommodations in order to cheat on the test. So the systems for accommodations, the security for accommodations gets tightened, right? Which actually hurts the 90 whatever percent of people who take the test fairly and actually need those accommodations. So that's one of the the negative outcomes of a scandal that actually had very little to do with the testing industry. So it's unfortunate that that type of thing happened. I don't know that there's a whole lot of good solutions for a test, a test publisher to, to solve for that because every tightening of security is going to create problems for those who want to do to take the test fairly. I mean, there certainly is a balance between privacy and test taker rights and, and security. And it's not, not an easy balance to get. One thing, and I don't know if you've got a view on it, is whether sort of having proctoring over video, remote proctoring is better rather than in-person proctoring or... Um, so much of what I've seen here in the U.S. around the the remote proctoring says there's a long way for that to go. And to use it in any kind of high stakes mechanism right now would be premature. I've seen, you know, the, the, the largest publishers or the largest providers of remote proctoring has had bias claims against them. Seems, you know... One organization seems really aggressive about stopping criticism. Um, so it seems that the, it's not there yet in terms of something I would trust um, to make high stakes decisions. It seems that there's, there's still a lot of problems with instituting remote proctoring. Um, even just technology and, and equity of technology. Uh, when, when the pandemic hit and all the major admissions tests in the U.S. went remote, I have maybe three or four computers in my house and, you know, three or four iPads, and I don't think I had the technology set up required to take one of these admissions tests remotely. You know, I would have to empty a room you know, to create the space to do it remotely. So that definitely creates issues of equity. Moving on to equity. So, I mean, a lot of people in the testing industry, a lot of testing organizations, uh, uh, universities and others, everybody is very keen to get equity. What's the right way to do it? How can we all work together to get more diversity and equity? How can the testing world help? I think it starts with test design and test publishers, right? Ensuring that everyone's at the table for the discussion for, for starting it, for responding to research. Far too often what I see from the testing industry is rather than response to criticism, it's deflection of criticism. Um, There's several research reports around the SAT and the equity of its creation. And the response always is, no, it's not. 
we're, we've, we've solved for that without providing any real substantive response for how that is solved for. So I think the starting point is in the creation of the test, having everyone at the table to ensure that it's A, not normed against a, a disproportionately white group of students. You know, I think that then the mechanism for delivery of these things have to also be considered. The high price point, the availability of waivers, many of the admissions tests that I've seen pretend to have a fee waiver process to create equity. Several of the graduate school admissions tests, in order to qualify for a fee waiver, you essentially have to give them your blood. Like they've created a process that has such a high bar for entry that almost no one would qualify for a waiver. You know, but they're doing it to claim that price isn't a barrier to entry. So I think you have to start with the design of the test and ensuring that that's as equitable as possible. Then you continue to the delivery and the logistics of the test and the price point, you know, and then interpretation of scores. And what differences are there in interpretation of scores? How meaningful are the interpretations of scores? I think that many tests pretend a specificity that they don't actually possess, that they hide standard error of measure as opposed to put that front and center. You know, if you have a standard error of measure that's almost as large as one standard deviation, then why are you reporting scales in such a narrow, you know, in such a narrow way? So I think you're suggesting that that firstly the tests need to be designed to make sure that they're not biased to any particular ethnic group or gender or other other demographic, and secondly that I mean what what I've seen evidence of is that some of these tests they're biased towards family wealth as it were not necessarily particularly uh demographics but just some demographics are historically richer than other demographics and that that's the main issue do you concur with that or do you think there are actually issues about them being normed with the wrong wrong set of people i think it's both it's both and you know one big case in the united states there's uh, one of the tests in the u.s I found history that suggested that in the 1980s was the first time they renormed the test. And the original norming group was predominantly white. And the test author was fighting against recommended changes in his test, although it was clearly demonstrated that many of the items had biases. Right. And I wonder how many of those things are not solved for You know, the, the repercussions of a test that was for the first time implemented a fairness process in evaluation of items and norming in the 80s or 90s. Right. The, the, the generations of people that were excluded from access to opportunities because of waiting that long. Right. Is 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 astonishing to me. Um, so I think that. At every level, these things have to be evaluated and evaluated completely, not simply evaluated in order to defend the marketing of your test. And that's what I often find is that there's a pretense to solving some of these problems rather than a true effort. You know, if the content of reading comprehension doesn't matter, then let's create a test that uses all black authors, all Indian authors. All, you know, imagine the, the, the objections that would take place were the reverse in creation to take place, right? And, and so I think the industry needs to look at itself and say, what, what is being perpetuated in the creation of these items, right? In the design of this test. 
And I think that that until that's evaluated and fairly considered, it, it, you know, the problems will remain. So that's a very interesting perspective. And I, and I should make it clear that this podcast seeks to get lots of lots of different views. And uh, because I, I'm involved in the testing industry, and uh, I'm very interested to hear your views. And I know lots of people really want to get diversity. So I'm sure that there are people who are just trying to to make commercial benefit. But I know that there are also a lot of psychologists, psychometricians, and people trying to create tests that that do bring benefits to the whole whole community. So, I mean, I think if you were to have some takeaways for the testing community, it's really think about diversity and maybe get more your authors much more diverse. It's be transparent about your scoring and your research and the errors involved in testing, and also look very hard at the financial requirements for taking the test. Is that a summary? Be very be present in the use of the test. I think that researchers have a responsibility to ensure their research is used well. It's great. And I know psychometricians who I think do a really good job and are really thoughtful in this work. Um, I know people at many of the testing organizations who I think do a really good job in this work and have been thoughtful around that. But psychometricians uh, the testing industry is fairly insular, it seems, that psychometricians talk to psychometricians, um, test publishers talk to test publishers. And what should happen is more transparency with test users, more honesty around the way in which you want to use my test is actually anti-science. And you should not use it that way. There was a case in New Jersey where a judge mitigated a sentence of a rapist because of good test scores. Really? I would want to believe that the testing industry would like issue a letter that says this is horrible. Uh, I mean, that just seems amazing. Amazing to me that anybody would do that uh, in any world. But uh, I... I don't know the details, of course. Well, what about COVID? How has that impacted uh, the testing from your perspective? Um, it has, you know, it's disrupted the industry. It has forced test makers to reconsider the mechanisms of delivery. It is fascinating to watch, you know, the major graduate level test in the United States. They were all still based on place-based testing, right? Um, even though the ones, even the ones that were computerized were largely you show up at a center and you take it in that center. Well, now all of them have transitioned to remote testing. Um, and I don't see that going back. So I think COVID has advanced the, the implementation of remote testing by maybe a decade, right? I, I don't know that that was even a thought, you know, doing that that quickly, so it'll be interesting to watch who goes back to largely place-based testing and who does not. I think that that has been one issue. The issue of equity that follows that because of access to technology is going to be another issue. But that was the biggest thing that I saw come out of this, this the advancement of remote testing. I don't anticipate that ever going back. No, we've seen a lot of that. I mean, we're not so much in the admissions testing space, but in the certification and uh, uh, post-hire testing testing market a lot of people are doing things more remotely and training is also happening more remotely and i mean there are access and equity benefits of that so people don't have to travel so much and things so i suspect 
that some of the wrinkles in remote proctoring are being ironed out and and will happen there. I mean, what's what's your message to test developers, testing organizations, particularly those who care about diversity and fairness? I think that test publishers should take serious the critiques of their work. I, and I find this is true of probably everyone. There's a reflexive defensiveness that happens, which often leads to dismissal of critiques of the work, right? But I think test publishers should take seriously the critiques of the work and be willing to respond publicly to public critiques and provide information that supports, defends, whatever, however you want to put that, that responds to the criticisms that exist, right? I'd love someone to point by point rebut every criticism I have of testing, right? I'd love someone to show me why reporting your test on a, you know, 200 point scale in 10 point increments is actually meaningful if your standard error of measure is 90 points, right? I'd love the testing industry to be transparent around the test delivers, the errors on the test, Right? especially when the tests have high stakes. You know, I'd love the testing industry to transition from delivering a score to delivering information. If someone takes a test, they should get back information from that test. These are the areas in which you were strong. These are the areas in which you are weak. Go forth and develop these areas and test again. That should be the message from testing. The message from testing shouldn't be you've passed or failed, you're qualified, not qualified. The message from testing would be here are your strengths, here are your weaknesses. The employer the school, whatever, may find these weaknesses they can work with and strengths that they're looking for, or they may not. But this is information we're delivering. We're not making judgments. And often these days, the reporting of test scores is delivered as a judgment rather than as information. And I think the testing industry can do a lot to solve that. So Akil, I think that's a very powerful statement. And and I think most people in the testing industry would think that they are producing data and not judgments. Uh, and the test should just be one piece of data. And I also so agree with you about critiquing. The reason I, I, I got to know you a bit was that you made a, a critical tweet about something I was doing at the ATP, that there was some uh, panel I was chairing that you didn't think was diverse enough. And I thought, well, that's somebody else to follow on Twitter because uh, I don't want to hear positive stuff all the time. I want to hear some negative stuff. And I've enjoyed following you on Twitter. What is your Twitter handle, by the way, in case anybody else wants to follow you? It's just Akil Bello. So the Twitter handle, the at Akil Bello never changes, although the display name changes frequently. So don't be freaked out if there is a rap reference and education reference, like currently my display name is Schoolhouse of Pain, referencing the rap group House of Pain. Um... But Akil, at Akil Bella, will always be there on Twitter. Thank you. And thank you so much for, for, for joining us today. Uh, I'm sure that our listeners won't l- like everything you've said, but it's interesting to, to have heard it. Uh, listeners, please reach out to me directly at johnatquestionmark.com with any questions, comments, or if you'd like to keep the conversation going. You can also visit the Question Mark website at questionmark.com to register our many of our best practice webinars that we host. And thanks again. And thank you, uh, Akil. And please tune in for another exciting podcast discussion we'll be releasing shortly. Mm-hmm.